everybody doing? Good. We're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If you have a Bible with you, if not, you can just listen along. That's completely fine. If you have a, one of those devices, um, looks like this. There's a, there's a Bible app that you can open up as well, but realize if you're looking at something else during the sermon besides the scripture, your phone will s- suddenly just malfunction and not work any longer. So be aware of what you will do. A reading from the book of Matthew 5.21 again. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to hell, a fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar... If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Of your accuser, maybe hand <clears throat> sorry, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will be, uh, you will never. Get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that does not return void. And we pray as we look at this word that your spirit would illumine it in such a way that we it would penetrate our hard hearts. That we might hear from you, that we might be transformed by you, not by clever words from a preacher, but by the piercing word of God coming into our lives, entering in and changing us. May nothing that I would say get in the way, God, of what you would want to say to your people today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So who am I? This person that stands before you this morning, I'm honored to be here. My name is Keenan Barber. I live here in Westlake Village. My wife has taught at Westlake Elementary for the last 20 years. Um, um, If you have a child in Westlake, um, there's a good chance that she was your teacher. And so if that's a good thing, then we're glad you're here this morning. If it's not a good thing, then there'll be prayer afterwards. You can can ask for prayer in those things. Um, And we're good friends with the the Saminos, and and we were sharing uh, stories. We were swapping stories the other day about our um, being called to jury duty here in the county, the great county of Ventura. And... I talked a little bit about the process of being vetted as a juror and lawyers and judges asking you questions. And, and then, you know, uh, Dan then shared that he was uh, being called to, to a murder trial. And this is a big deal. And, and, and he got to the point where the, the judge or the, the, the attorneys were going to be asking some questions, sort of vetting him to see whether or not he was going to be a good. And, and, and Dan had gone through in his mind and, and he was prepared for whatever question they were going to ask. What's your position on this? And what kind of experience have you had with that? And, and, and the question came and the first question out of the lawyer's mouth to Dan was, so what do you think of murder? And it was like, uh, is this a trick question? You know, like, uh, it's, it's bad? You know, and, uh, and, and it, in, a, in a strange way, that's a good introduction to our passage here. It, in a way, the passage starts with, this is, okay, so we have to give a, let's give a bigger uh, sort of set, setting the, the stage for what is actually happening here. This is Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, the longest 
uninterrupted portion of, of uh, words from Jesus' mouth that you'll get in all of Scripture. And so within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's about ethics. It's about what does it look like for Christians? What does it look like for those who follow after God? What does it look like for them to live out that faith in the world? It's ethics. It's how do we live with one another? It takes many of the sort of Old Testament, what the, the formula here would be, here's what the Old Testament sort of said, here's what the Hebrew scriptures would have said, and now as Jesus, the authority figure, I'm going to give you a different way. It's not necessarily a different way to interpret this, but I'm going to enhance that. I'm going to deepen that. I'm going to challenge us to something even deeper here in these Beatitudes, these, this, this Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that Jesus will give and will bring so much life into what's going on. It covers topics like adultery and divorce and retaliation and enemies and giving and worry. I and mean, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, great passage of Scripture. And if you haven't had a chance to read it all in its entirety, it's great to be able to read it all the way through and understand if you want a great sermon, the greatest maybe of all sermons, this is the sermon to go back to and sort of listen to. So within that context, the first verse that we read today goes to say, you've heard it say, don't murder. And everyone there would have said, yeah, we get that. That's in the Ten Commandments. That Moses you know, brought the Ten Commandments to us. We all sort of agree to that. It's not a big one. It's sort of like, what do you think of murder? It's, it's bad? You know, everyone, even in that time, in our time, I think would generally say, murder, not so good. You know? and, and we don't necessarily, I think, sit around and sort of go, well, you know, there's you know, this kind of murder. You're like, no, no, murder, we're going to say it's bad. But and it's interesting that many versions of the Bible will actually take this passage and call it murder. But really, if we read down below this, the first sentence is about murder. Really, the rest mm -hmm. of it has to do with anger. And that's where we're going to spend our time today talking about anger. So we get into what it has to say about anger. And I, 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 there are not many times that I like to go real in-depth with, with grammar and with uh, words and etymology, but in this particular case, there's actually some really good things that come out if we just take a look at one particular word in the second verse. Second verse goes reads something like this. We go back to 22. But I but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Let's talk about this word angry that's here. There are a couple things I think to notice that you don't necessarily get from just looking at the scripture as it reads out in English. Even if you were to read a number of different translations, which is always a good way to get a better sort of depth of understanding of what a particular passage has to say, because we understand that the original language that this was written in was Greek, and so when we translate things, sometimes things don't translate real well. There are some things that we can dig out of here that I think actually have quite a bit of weight to them as we move forward into the scripture. First is the choice of the word anger that's here. The word that's here is or, orgazomenos. Orgazomenos. I did. I, I got scared for a second as I looked at it. It's a hard Greek word. It does come if uh, there, there, this idea of our word orgy would come out of this word. And this is the word that's chosen in this particular passage rather than a word that means anger as well, which is thymos. Now, thymos would have a sense of lighting some straw on fire. The straw burns up, it's gone, it's over, it's finished, and it's sort of like this. It's that 
fleeting anger that you have from time to time, right? It's that fleeting anger of, I can't find my keys. <gasps> okay, I found my keys, it's gone. It's that fleeting kind of quick sort of anger. Someone cuts you off on the freeway, ha! And then it's gone. It's, it, well, for some of you, it's gone. Some of you are, are here this morning, and you're still angry about the person who, I can't believe that red Porsche did that to me this morning. And we're going to talk about that anger, because that actual anger is the other anger that we're going to be talking about. The other is the form of this word. The form is a present tense participle. And for some of you, you're like, please don't take me back to eighth grade English. I don't want to do grammar again. Let me give you a sense of what, why it would be, what would be the importance of understanding why it's in that particular tense in time. It, it, in some ways, it's not just sort of there's anger and it's gone. It's not an instant or a moment. It's not a, a finished action. In some ways, there's a sense that it is, is being angry. It's carrying anger with you. It's remaining in an angry position. And it's adding fuel to the anger. In a way, it's compared, in some ways, that it's, it's a, an ongoing thing that you're kind of making a choice that you're going to pick it up, you're going to hold on to it, and you're going to carry it with you wherever you go. This is the anger that this particular passage, I think, is trying to address. And it's an anger that I think many of us would be pretty familiar with as well. And I think it's a different, to understand some of those things gives us a sense of what's really going on there. Let me look at the rest and we'll come back to some of this, this, this anger thing. So verse 22 then goes on and it says, but I tell, uh, the second part of verse 22 says, again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is unanswerable to the court and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, if, as we read this as modern day readers, we, we, we see this and we go, sticks and stones will break my bones, what words will never hurt me, right? We have like this name calling going on here. But, and the two words might be translated as, you idiot, you jerk. And it seems like a, Jesus has a pretty severe sort of word to say in terms of, if you want to call people names like that, there is severe judgment for you. Well, why would that be? For us today, we're used to being called names all the time. In fact, if we look online... People are calling names all over the place, and it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. But we have to understand the name-calling that's happening here is actually calling someone, it's kind of calling into question the name that God has given them. See, the significance of name-giving and name-receiving in a culture of 2,000 years ago, to call upon something that would identify them as something other than their name was absolutely demoralizing, and in fact was sort of at the core of questioning who they are. And so for you today to go, <laughs> you messed that up, you're such an idiot. Like, we just sort of use those kinds of words casually. But in this particular time, the anger, and I think the passage that's getting at here, is looking at someone and saying, you idiot, you jerk. It's giving them that sense of like it's changing their name to those kinds of things. And to that, Jesus has a very severe reaction and says, that is not correct. That is not the way I want you to behave. That is not the kind of anger I'm looking to see pour out of you as those who follow after you. It gives you a little bit of a sense of that significance. And then, sort of, um, those are the, the responses then. And then, so what is the response then after that? Well, there's really two responses. There are verses 23 and 24, and there's verses 25 and 26. Most scholars would agree that really what we're kind of, we're going we're gonna to, 
uh, divide into is that 23 and 24 have to do with how do you approach these kinds of anger situations within the context of the church, and then 20, 25 and 26 are going to address how do you address this kind of anger with people outside of the church. Inside of the church, here's how it reads. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I think we can sort of get that. And at this particular time, in order for you to bring your offering, to bring your gift to God, was to come out, was to come forward, to place that gift. And Jesus is saying, this is such a big deal that before you go about doing that business, I need you to do some business on your own. And churchgoers would get that. And I think even today, before you come and worship here, you need to go do some reconciling before you're able to do that. We're going to talk about that more as we go on. 25 and 26 then, those, the following verses really then get you to a place of saying, okay, what if it's people that you don't worship with? Well, in this case, we're going to put it in the context of, you know, two of us are going to be going to some sort of a court. And so on the way, we need to figure out a way to get rid of our anger to be able to reconcile and do that with it without, outside of the context of the church as well. Which kind of gets us through sort of where, where, we're, you know, where we are in the passage at this point. So... How do we take all of this? How do we hold all of what is set out then by Jesus in this particular situation? In old ways of interpreting this, these passages, in old ways of looking at Jesus' teachings here, it's interesting because many times what people have done is said, okay, here's the Hebrew you know, scripture, here's the way it used to be, and Jesus is giving us a new way of living. And the new way of living is so high and so sort of pie in the sky, it's so far away, it's so not possible, that it ends up being this sort of almost a defeating kind of teaching, where it's like, well, it used to be this, Jesus is raising the bar, I'm never going to get to the bar, and so, well, I guess I won't be on that, that hard on myself when I don't get to that place. But I think the interpretation of, of more of a, a modern time would, would really take it into sort of three different ways. It would be, here are the scriptures of old, here's what they had to say, I told you not to murder. I, the ancient scripture says don't murder. What I say is don't find yourself carrying around the anger. And then from there would be, and here's some small steps in how you then can work that out moving forward. Here are some small steps of obedience that you can take as followers of Jesus to take care of that anger that's there. In a way, um, Glenn Stassen, who is an ethics professor um, it was an ethics professor at Fuller uh, Theological Seminary, says it this way, that they're, they're almost um, these transforming initiatives, is what he calls them. That, that in order for the kingdom of God to come alive, in order for that to be the kingdom of God to be realized, it's for the people of God to then participate in sort of this third thing, so that we are taking what the scriptures used to say, we're taking the words of Jesus, and now, as followers of him, we're acting those things out. In this particular instance, we're talking about figuring out a way to take the anger that we have, and before we go forward to worship, before we go do the business, to go and be reconciled. To go and do the work, the hard work of forgiving those who are around us. We're following along here? We, we've, we've got it. You're here. Just give me a yes like this. Just want to make sure you're all sort of, you know, sit with me here. So Jesus doesn't erase the meaning of the Old Testament passage there. He doesn't erase that. And it's not a completely sort of here's the thesis and here's an antithesis. It's really here's a teaching. I'm going to deepen it, enhance it, enhance it, and then bring you to new understanding. And then I'm going to send you out to try to live that out in a particular kind of way. 
So let me make some observations about our modern context in terms of anger, because I think unless we understand the presence of anger and where it finds its nasty roots in our culture today, I think we have a hard time necessarily understanding the, the really the heart and the meat and the trajectory of where this passage takes us. I, I think we uh, don't even know how much we actually carry around anger with us all the time. <clears throat> Richard War says it this way, pain is either transformed or transferred. Now hear that. There, there are some, I mean, there are great words there. And some of you are like, I, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Pain, things that have happened to me in the past, the way that I've been treated, the way that I've been betrayed, the ways that someone has hurt me or figured out a way to get in my inner being, how that gets, that gets processed in here, that pain either gets to the place where I'm going to take that pain and I'm going to lash out at others and I'm going to be angry at others and I'm going to transfer that pain and that anger to someone else. Or I'm going to be in a position where God would take that pain, that difficult situation, and rather than acting out of anger, I'm going to allow God to take that, transform it, and therefore be a transformative agent for God in the things that I do. Pain is either transformed or transferred. What's interesting is that today we're seeing lots of people lash out. We're seeing lots of people have very strong reactions to political statements, strong reactions to things happening around the world, strong reactions to lots of different things. And the question would be, what's it, sir, we're, we're carrying around some kind of pain, some kind of anger that's there, but some of us don't even know that we're carrying it around. So first, I think in our modern context, we have to realize we're carrying it around, but we don't even know that we're carrying it around. And that's maybe even scarier in some ways, that we are carrying that with us, that that has an influence on us as we move forward sort of in our lives. Another thing that happens is sometimes I think we put down anger, we put down pain, and someone around us <laughs> encourages us to pick that back up. We find that the people that are around us are very influential. We, we, we've trust them. And so some of them would say, you should be angry. You should be mad. You should pick that back up. And we've put it down. We've left it to, the, to, to God to take care of those things. And they say, pick that back up. It's important for you to pick that up because you need to remember how you were hurt. You know, and we have to be careful about the people that we put around us. Because they can either help us pick that back up and carry it with us even longer than we need to. But if we have the right kind of people around us, they're the kind of people who remind us, you don't need to pick that back up. You didn't need to pick it up from the beginning. God's bigger than this. Let's move forward. Let's leave that behind. I think we've also gotten to a place where we've taken the biblical evidence of anger and we've justified it and said, well, don't, you, you've seen the passage in, in the Bible. Jesus gets angry in the temple. He's mad that they're doing things in the temple that shouldn't be there. So he flips over to the table and we see that means that I can be angry. And I want, we need to be real careful with, first of all, let's, let's all agree, you're not Jesus, and, and I'm not Jesus. So we've got to be real careful with how we play, play with that. The other, though, is, is this idea that what happens in, in one of these uh, depictions of this, what happens right afterwards? Is Jesus carrying around that anger, and this is just the lashing out of that anger? No. He sees his father's house not being used for the purposes it's there. He is appropriately angered. He has a response to clear out what happens there. What happens right afterwards? He heals. And the sick are healed. There's a purpose behind it. He doesn't carry it. 
He's not having this orgy of anger that he's hanging on to and, and, gonna, and he's hung on to his whole life and finally it's coming out. There's a sense of he's appropriate anger in that moment. But I think in today's time, we, we, there are some of us within the church who've said, no, but Jesus got angry, so I can be angry too. And I think we have to be careful how we use our Bible in those moments in terms of anger. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in, in a book uh, called The uh, Contemplative Pastor, says this, um, unmet expectations produce anger. Unmet expectations produce anger. I wonder how many of us have sort of expectations of the world, expectations of our family, expectations of our spouse, expectations of whatever it might be around us that are not met. And when they're not met, we respond with anger. But we haven't even identified that self because we didn't even know we had that expectation. And when it's not met, we just have this kind of gut, sort of this thing that's not right in our stomach. And that unmet expectation brings out this anger. We don't even know where it comes from. And I think we have to recognize that unmet expectations, and if our expectations are unbelievably high of our spouse or the people that are around us, it's a scary thing to think how much anger can build up if no one actually ever meets our expectations. So we have to be careful. I'm just making some observations about anger in a moral context, and then we'll get it back into the passage here in a second. We have no idea of the ill effects of what it is to carry around anger. Look at the, the scientific research that talks about those who hang on, those who are unable to forgive. Those, who, I mean, it is what happens to the inside of your system, what happens to your organs, what it does to your heart, your heart rate, your blood pressure, all the rest of it. It's not good for us to harbor this and carry it around. Social media has allowed anger to just run amok with no checks and balances whatsoever. And watch how quickly, I mean, I'm angry at that person, watch how quickly I can pull it out, pull it up, and say, this is what I think of you. This is what I think of your idea. This is what I think of, and there's no one there to go, um, that's, hey, hello, not a good idea, don't do that right now. You're not in a good place. You haven't slept in a long time. You haven't eaten a good meal first. You need to, you know, go take a run first before that all sort of, you know, work that out first. But social media is right there, and it's so accessible so we're seeing this permeation of just anger everywhere. And it's scary. And it's scary to have kids on social media and think that that's just normal. And then we're creating this just angry, angry world that we're a part of. There's an underlying sense of anger kind of throughout everything that goes on right now. One particular example I picked up was 15% of high school students, grades 9 to 12, were electronically bullied in the past year. In one large study, about 50% of children ages 4 to 12 reported being bullied by other students at school at least once during the past month, whereas 30, uh, 30% reported bullying others during that time. We're seeing it. We're seeing the anger come out. We're seeing it come from the pain. We're seeing kids just carry it throughout all of their school. It's a scary thing. Anger has run amok in our culture, and we as the followers of Christ need to be the ones who lead the way back to forgiveness and reconciliation. We are the ones. We are the hope of the world. Christ is the hope of the world, but he's given us his spirit that we might bring hope to those who are around us. So how does this sort of all conclude? There doesn't uh, seem to be much of a sense of urgency about letting go of anger. There isn't. And this passage makes it clear that Jesus is, has a very severe response to those who want to hold on to anger. Judgment, and let's be clear, hell. 
If we're not willing to let it go, those are the kinds of things that take place, and that's not where we want to end up going. We want to, and there are other passages in Scripture that talk about this. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Not that you would be angry with one another, but that you would love one another. We need to start now. We need to start small, and we need to continue to put down anger and continually pick up love and grace and mercy. So let me give you just a, lot, a couple of thoughts in terms of what do those little acts of obedience look like for us? What might they look like? We have to start with a very primary piece within this, this conversation because this can be taken as uh, somebody in the world could say, don't, don't have anger, it's not good. And, and people would say, that's great, fantastic. But um, if we really understand this, we have to put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ first. Because it's the work that's done within us for healing and restoration and transforming kinds of things comes from the Spirit of God that comes down in us and changes us here. So in order for us to move forward in a place we might be able to forgive others and receive forgiveness from others, we need to be put first put ourselves in a place where we are a child of the King, where we put our hope and faith in who Jesus is. And that good news of the gospel is what gives us the, the kind of hope that we need in order to move forward in such an angry kind of world. So that would be first, before we sort of do anything else. I think we have to recognize the, own, our own, the anger that's within us. We have to have honest moments of really coming to terms with the fact that there are some things that we're still angry about. And there are some of these things that are from way, way, way far, out, far back. Unmet expectations that you had of your parents and what they should have done within your family and the fact that you never got that. Has someone in the past done something to you that you've never forgotten? Have you betrayed someone in the past? Is there something simmering right below the surface that at any time can be reignited and be, you know, have a, a light afresh at any moment? Are there people that you avoid because you have a grudge against them? Have you posted something online lately that could be received as hurtful? Have you been hurt online by someone else and something that they said? As we recognize that we're carrying this anger, the interesting part is that the, the carrying of the anger needs to kind of be, uh, the antidote to that is that we are forgiving. Those passages that talk about before you come to the altar, we need to be in a place where we are forgiving. We need to be the reconciled and the reconciler. In many cases, we would uh, say it uh, that we've... In many cases within the scriptures and within Bible times, we would say, you need to take it to the Lord. But the interesting part here is that you don't take it actually into the place of worship. Before you actually come to worship, God would like you to go talk with a person first. Dale Brunner wrote it this way, the Lord does not want to talk to you, his disciple, unless you go talk to somebody else first. That's a difficult one. That's a different kind of you know, approach. We want to have Christ in our heart. We want to give our heart. But, it, but in some ways, in order to be able to be in a right place with God, God is interested in us actually doing what he says. Do we do that on our own? You can try it on your own. It's pretty darn difficult. I would argue that by 
us being in prayer, by being in worship, by being in these places, being filled with His Spirit, then we have the ability to go do those things. But we can't make an excuse that I'm just going to spend time with Jesus and never actually do the work that Jesus wants us to do by forgiving others or receiving forgiveness from someone else. So we need to be reconciled and be reconcilers. And finally, we need to put Jesus back into the place of being the authority in our lives. For many of us, we kind of give it lip service, we go to church, we do the things that we think we're supposed to do, but in a way, unless Christ is the authority, see, these words in the Sermon on the Mount have power because of the one who says the words. It's because it is the Christ, the one, who should be angry as all get out because we killed him. He should be angry with us, and many of us have thought that that's the way God is looking at us as we do our life. But he doesn't. He offers himself on the cross. He comes back. He's resurrected. And what does he bring? He brings forgiveness. He brings a sense of hope and joy and mercy. And if we put this, our sense of the authority in our lives is going to be based on who Jesus is, if that's the authority that we follow in our lives, then it's easy to have everything else fall into place. It's easy to let go of the anger. It's easy to stop carrying the anger and start picking up forgiveness. Now, the difficult thing here is that most, many of us have been told that we'll just forgive the person and it's done and finished. God has the ability to do that. Forgive 70 times 7. I think it's where it says somewhere in Scripture. Depending on, it doesn't matter how you translate the passage. The bottom line is forgiveness is a process. We forgive today. We decide to put down that anger today. And tomorrow we get up and it's still there, and so we have to put it down again. And we have to start the next day. But the hope is the fact that each day it gets a little lighter, and the things that we carry around are so much better. And they're life-giving. And the people around us that we touch, and we are filled with a hope. And those who don't know who Jesus is go, if that's what Jesus is all about, then I want to be a part of that. As opposed to... Those people seem to sit on Sunday mornings and just be very angry at the world. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. I don't think so. I think there's a place where he invites us in. He wants to change us and transform us from the inside out because of the great work that Christ has done for us and our behalf. So what are we going to do here for a minute? What, what I'd like to do is invite you, um, typically I think during this time during the service there would be a, a, a quote or there would be something to kind of you know think. But for the next couple minutes we're going to leave the screen black. We're not going to have any sound or we're not going to have any. It's just going to be you taking what's been set here and sitting with it. And maybe before there's another part of the service that takes here in a minute where you can go do some things, you can offer, do some offering, you can do some other interactive kinds of things. Maybe before you do that, maybe there's a thing on your phone or a piece of paper you have to write down, and maybe you need to write down a name. And maybe at some point today or tomorrow that there has to be some action taken. That's not for me to tell you. That's not for me to guilt you into it's for the Lord to work on your heart the only way that he can. That the spirit would come in and that you'd be able to do those things not because you're going to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps but because the spirit is going to come alongside you and give you the ability to be able to move forward in places of forgiveness. And so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes of that and then in a moment 
Um, we're going to read a, a, a prayer of confession together, and then we'll move forward. So for the next couple minutes, don't look at your phone. You don't need to check your email. The, 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 the email, the, the text that just came in, not that important. Just close your eyes. Sit, listen, reflect about what God would want to say about your anger. 